With all that's going on in the world and in our personal lives, how do you find and follow the pleasure, the lightness, and through that to transform your life, your relationships, and your world? And how do you foster the emergence of healthy change that nurtures you and those around you? That conversation is what's in store in today's exciting episode. But first, I have a big announcement for you. On October 12th, 2019, John and Julie Gottman will be joining me here in Portland, Maine at the State Theater for Relationship Alive Live. So we'll have some deep conversation with the world's masters of relationship success with a chance to have your questions answered then and there. There's reserved seating and tickets are going on sale today, July 23rd, 2019. So for more information and to buy tickets, please visit neilsatin.com slash live show. That's L-I-V-E-S-H-O-W. And I am excited to see you there. And we're still working out who the musical guest is going to be, but I guarantee you it's going to be someone fun and uh, really uh, entertaining. Okay, uh, just a reminder that Relationship Alive is my offering to you so that you can have the most successful relationships possible. If you are finding the show to be helpful, please consider a donation to help ensure that we can continue with our mission. To choose something that feels right to you, and remember, any little bit counts and helps, just visit neilsatin.com slash support or text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And this week, I would like to thank Jordan, Kent, Alana, Sarah, Deb, Mira, Joseph, Ruthanna, and Karen. Thank you all so much for your generous support of Relationship Alive. Also, just a reminder that I have a free guide for you called my top three relationship communication secrets. These are communication tips that are exclusive to relational communication, so communicating with your loved ones in a way that keeps you connected no matter how challenging the thing is that you are talking about. To download this free guide, all you have to do is visit neilsatin.com slash relate, or you can text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And I am just about to release the beta version of my Secrets of Relationship Communication course. If you want to find out when the course is out, and my goal with this course is to have it be something that transforms your communication with your partner and it doesn't require them to do anything. So I've specifically targeted all the ways that you can change the only person in the relationship that you can actually change, which is you, to create and evoke better communication with your partner. So that's my Secrets of Relationship Communication course, which is almost ready. And if you want to find out when it is fully released, uh, just sign up for the free guide and then I'll let you know.
So again, neilsatin.com slash relate or text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. If you didn't catch last week's episode, it was all about what to do in your relationship when things get really challenging and also what not to do. So I highlight some of the losing strategies as well as some of the strategies that are most likely to result in success for you. So uh, check out last week's episode and just wanted to remind you that I'm going to start taking the last week of the month off. So that will be a chance for you to catch up on episodes you haven't heard yet or catch up with your loved ones or your friends or something else entirely but that is going to be a day for me to catch up with my life with episodes with some of the new projects that are coming out Uh, and yeah so that's how things are shifting so next week you'll have a little bit more time to yourself to uh, do whatever you want to do Uh, one of those things might be joining us in the relationship alive community on facebook which is a way for you to meet other people who listen to the podcast. And it's a place to get support in your relationship or with your relationship stuff. Uh, We're trying to keep it a really safe space for people to be vulnerable and courageous and ask good questions. So that is the Relationship Alive community on Facebook. And finally, before we get going, I just want to remind you that if you have a question that you'd like me to answer, record it on your phone and email it to me at questions at relationshipalive.com. And I will keep you anonymous, but I will answer your question live on the show. So uh, I'm excited for the questions that are coming in and uh, maybe it could be yours that we answer on, uh, on the next Q&A show. All right, I think that's that's it. Let us get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the 200th episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. I want to start by saying that I believe in the power of synchronicity. I believe that when synchronicities happen, it means something. And so... To me, it meant a lot when I was walking into a bookstore with a new friend of mine in New York City, and she grabbed this book off the shelf, and she said, given what we've just been talking about, how you want to make this huge impact with your work and with the Relationship Alive podcast, you need to read this book. And she handed me a book called Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown. Oh, wow. Yeah. And after reading that book and being so moved by what I read there, both in terms of the promise that it holds for how our lives can unfold in a way that's really organic and natural and suited to who we are as people, and also how that can impact the communities that we form, whether it be our micro communities, our family, our friends, or our larger communities, the movements that we become a part of, and how we create change in this world. It was just super inspiring to me. And I was delighted to see that Adrian was coming out with a new book called Pleasure Activism, which just hit the New York Times bestseller list. And I thought, you know what? Like, I have to talk to this person and hopefully 
they'll talk to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I reached out, and fortunately, here we are today to talk to Adrian Marie Brown, who is a uh, social justice facilitator focused on Black liberation, a doula, healer, and a pleasure activist, and a coach, and she, the list goes on and on. And and honestly, <laughs> I I can relate, and I love that about yeah. about her work. Um, and so we're going to be here to talk about emergence and pleasure and how this all unfolds in the world of relationship, uh, the relationship you have to yourself, the relationship you have to your beloved or beloveds, and uh, the relationship you have with the world. As usual, we will have a detailed transcript of today's episode, which you can get if you visit neilsatin.com slash A-M-B, as in Adrian Marie Brown. Or you can always text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions and that will get you the transcript and the show notes and all that good stuff. Okay. I think that's it. So Adrian, thank you so much for being here with us today on Relationship Alive. Thanks for having me, Neil. I'm excited that a podcast that's about relationships in this way is, exists. <laughs> so I'm like, yay, let's talk about it. Awesome. Yeah. I've been thinking about a good way to dive in without asking you like a ridiculously broad question. Um, uh-huh. But I might have to start with a ridiculously broad question. <laughs> You're like, I tried. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> it's okay. Well, What's the ridiculously broad question? Yeah. So let's start with this idea about pleasure and mm-hmm. activism. And what does it mean to have pleasure be the center of how one operates in the world? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you know, I, I got this terminology was taught to me. Um, I learned the words from an organizer named Keith Kyler, who was the founder of something called Housing Works that's based in New York that raises resources and um, all kinds of resources, like financial resources, but also does trainings and other things like that for people who are, um, dealing with houselessness, dealing with HIV AIDS. And I was really moved by his genius and his work. Um, but one time we were just sitting around having a good time and he talked to me about this terminology, pleasure activism. And it stuck with me over the years. Like I kept being like, Oh, like, what could that mean? What could that mean? What could that mean? And especially as I, I grew, you know, I've, I've always been very aware that there's a lot in the world that is broken, that is hurting, that is traumatized. Um, and inside of that reaching for how are we meant to connect with each other? And somewhere in there, this idea of, of pleasure activism kept returning to me as I was doing voter organizing, returning to me as I was um, learning about harm reduction, returning to me as I was um, supporting people to do direct action, nonviolent civil disobedience. It just kept coming back. And um, when I was working on my last book, Emergent Strategy, um, I had to include it as a concept. And I wasn't sure at that point, like, am I going to flush this all the way out? Like, there's a lot here. Um, but then at some point I was like, let me just like, what would it look like? You know, what would it look like to actually flush this out? And I had been reading Audre Lorde's uh, text, The Uses of the Eroticus Power, which 
I got permission to reprint in this book. Um, and I really loved her use of the erotic. And yet I just kept coming back to this idea of pleasure, like that pleasure includes the erotic, but also includes a lot of things that may or may not be erotic. And so I was like, what, what is pleasure? And I looked it up and it was just like happy joy and satisfaction. <laughs> and I was like, gosh, it seems so simple. And yet there's so much, um, resistance to it. There's so much fear of it. There's so much control of it. And, um, and for those of us who are like actively trying to change the world in some way, there's a denial of it, right? Like, it's like, we are not allowed to have that. We need to be fighting, um, for this, you know, future that's off in the future somewhere. Right. And, um, and I just remember it landing in like, wouldn't it be so radical to listen to what Audre Lorde had taught us at, about engaging the erotic now, engaging our full aliveness in this moment. And for black women who, you know, that's who was at the front of my mind when I wrote this text, you know, I was like, there's a lot that has intentionally cut us off from our relationship with joy and happiness and pleasure and contentment and satisfaction. It's, it's been trained into us that we're not allowed to have those things. So I got very, then I got very like lit up with this idea that I was like, Oh, what if we could have these things? Like, what if it's a measure of our freedom to reclaim pleasure? And so that kind of sent me off down this path that has been really exciting. And, you know, it's interesting because activism in general is not where I land, right? Like I, I've often been like, I'm an organizer. And for me, the distinction, you know, I think activists are folks who are really like advocating for something, like using their public sphere to advocate for something, going and talking to friends. Organizers to me are folks who are like, I'm actually trying to move a strategy amongst the people, right? Like I'm going to go find those who are not going to just easily be reached and I'm going to knock on their doors and I'm going to find out what they need and, um, and build an analysis and a vision together. And so, you know, it's like, okay, is activism okay for this? And it felt like actually for this, it is, it is important that as many people in the world as possible begin to come out and advocate for all of our rights to have pleasure and to have pleasure be an organizing principle of how we structure our relationships in our society um, and that it starts with reclaiming our own and moves out from that place. So I'm excited that it exists. I'm excited that it came together. And then I've been really blown away by the responses. So I'm like, okay, this, I really for a while was like, this is not the right book to be putting out right now. Um, we need something about justice or we need something about like, you know, I kept having this strategic idea around um, if, if this current administration is starting fires all over the place, I kept thinking like, how do we conjure up water? How do we vaporize ourselves in some way to come up and over and rain down on them? And I was like, I got, I got I need to go write that strategy book or whatever. And then I realized I was like, Oh, this is actually it. This is way, that right? book. Yeah. This is actually that book. And that's been clicking to me that I'm like, this is it. This is the way that we become more powerful through pleasure, through what we can release rather than what we can contain. So, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. It's to me, what was, I mean, there are so many threads that came together for me as I was reading the book and even just mm -hmm. in hearing you speak right now. Um, primarily that way that people are so many people, I should say, are so exhausted right now with with just the state of affairs and that's, right. and that's political it's environmental it's economic there yeah. there's a lot that's taxing us and yeah. there's something that regenerates us when we can find 
the sources of pleasure within us and in how we yeah. connect with the world that right. I think allows us to bring more of ourselves to the world and and also highlights the places where we are denying ourselves or denying others that mm -hmm. inalienable right for right. the experience of joy. That's right. I mean, it blows my mind to really think about like what people, what people have survived. Like often when I stand in a room of people and I'm giving a, a speech or talk or a training or something, there's, you know, a lot of me that's present with that moment, but then there's also a part of me that's kind of thinking about all the lineages of all these human beings and how, um, some of them in this moment have landed in a place of power or privilege. And some of them have ended up in a place that's not that, but that those lineages all include some survival, some fighting to exist, some taking a risk, some, um, you know, moving out into the world with an unknown response. So, you know, like we don't know what's going to happen here. We don't know if we're heading the right way. Um, we don't know if we're going to survive and that there have been so many things that have, have, you know, like so much of our human history has just been about surviving, mm -hmm. right? Just like, can we make it? And so there's something interesting to me now to be like, I think, I think we have shown that like, oh, we could make it. Like we could figure this out. We could be on this planet technically, but what is the life worth making it for? Like what is worth surviving for? Yeah. And now I think we're actively in that question. Um, that it's like all of us deserve this relationship to pleasure. And <clears throat> when you look at like who thinks they deserve it or who is encouraged to have it, it's actually a very narrow, small grouping of human beings. And I think that's because of capitalism. You know, I really think that as an economic system, capitalism thrives when we believe that we are not good enough and that we need to buy something outside of ourselves in order to um, experience pleasure. And I love the trick of it, which is like, if you actually just drop down into your own body, which is the only thing in your entire life that you ever truly have, um, from the beginning to the end, if you just drop down into it, it's wired for pleasure. And those wires may have been crossed. You know, there may be some like dysfunctional parts of it because of trauma, because of pain, um, because of, uh, which I, I now also, when I meet everyone, I'm like, I know you have some trauma, right? Yeah, yeah like, no I one know you have that. Some, yeah. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't know how severe or central it is to your life or your life story. I don't know if you had the resources to recover or not, but I, I know it's there. And so I think like, oh, what we're dealing with is like, what is the relationship between that trauma that's everywhere and this system that's telling us that we can't heal ourselves. We shouldn't even feel ourselves. We should just kind of outsource that to something we can purchase. And and then how in that do we find a way to be in right relationship with each other or this planet, right? So that's the stuff I keep, I keep floating around with is like, I want to, I want to leave a world behind me that people like, are like, I feel very compelled. I want to be here. It feels good, right? And that doesn't mean that I think we will solve the climate crisis in my lifetime. Because um, I do think you know, I really believe in Gopal Dayanini, who works over at Movement Generation and, and talks about like there's things that we have already set in motion that we are going to have to face the consequences of as a species. 
Um, and I, I don't deny that that's what's coming to us. But inside of that, I think we also have to be actively fomenting pleasure and actively fomenting, like, reconnecting ourselves to land and to each other. Um, because as the changes happen, we're still going to need to be able to feel feel pleasure, feel satisfaction, feel like being here. Otherwise, we'll just depress and numb and, you know, kind of slip away. And I think that would be an unworthy end to our species. Totally agree with you. And a, a word that popped into my mind that I would like to add to that mm -hmm. is uh, resilience. Yeah. That the more that we're embracing our capacity for resilience in terms of how we heal our lineage of trauma or yeah. present moment traumas, in terms of how we make things right when they've gone yeah. wrong. Um, yeah. And do that in the context where what we're shooting for, what we're envisioning is something joyful, blissful, like that actually has ease and pleasure connected to yeah. it. Yes. Then that, that makes it worth it and gives us kind of a, I hate to use the word technology, but like a technology of, yeah. of continually adjusting uh, to get there. Yeah. You talk yeah, an emergent I mean, strategy about adaptability. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I was like, yeah, you know, like to me, emergent strategy and pleasure activism really go together. Like they're holding hands, dancing across the field of ideas. Hmm. And I really think that this, this idea of resilience, you know, I have a teacher, Alta Star, who's always pushing me to be like, you know, resilience is beyond even harm, right? It's sort of like this natural capacity we have to, um, to adapt, to like grow, to learn from whatever changes come. And it's hard for me because I'm still like, well, but also when someone hurts us, that, you know, we had to be resilient. Um, and, you know, it's hard in a city like Detroit because, you know, resilience can be weaponized. Like if people are like, well, you bounce back from anything, like we'll just keep doing anything to you. Mm, like, yeah. you know, we'll add an incinerator to your neighborhood or whatever. You'll be fine. And so I think there's something about, oh, to me, like how do we have a transformative resilience, right? How do we have resilience that is not just like we can recover back to conditions that we weren't very happy with in the first place and being like, oh, you know, when I look at like, what am I recovering? I'm recovering something that's beyond my own origin, you know, mm. like I need to recover something that goes back past the many hours that my grandmother overworked. And I need to recover something that goes back past my enslaved ancestors and recover something that goes back past my kidnapped answers. And, you know, ancestors, like I feel this long, long, long arc of the work that I'm in right now, where I'm like, almost everyone that came before me was trying to work towards some joy, some freedom, some sense of safety for their children and themselves. And now I am awakened. Like I, I'm aware of all of that. And I have an option in front of me to be resilient across time and space. Right. And that feels very exciting. You know, I, I think, um, as hard as it is to live in this age of like hyper-connectedness, because I think it is really hard. Um, my friend Angel Kyoto Williams talks about this, that like we, we are given access to so much more information than we've ever had access to before, but we're not given the tools to handle it all, right? Like we're not taught, here's how to meditate, here's how to pass what's overwhelming back to the earth or back to God or back to whomever you trust with it. Like we're not given those those technologies, right? Mm -hmm. So 
we're kind of flailing a lot of the time of like, I'm receiving all this. I'm trying to care about all of it. And we find ourselves stretched so far. But I also think the really beautiful thing about that is like, we can see how many people believe what we believe, how many people are trying to practice what we're trying to practice. And we can find each other. You know, you and I would have never found each other if it wasn't for this modern state of connection. Right. And to be able to say like, oh, you're out here in Maine fomenting these ideas. And I'm out here in Detroit fomenting these ideas. And we have very different lineages. And yet we both have arrived in this place where it's like, this is a path. This is a way to move forward. It's important. Paying attention to relationship is important. And so that, you know, that gives me hope inside of the the struggle of this overwhelming moment where there is so much that is hard. It's also, there's so much that is overwhelmingly beautiful and overwhelmingly good. And um, there's so many ways that, you know, also we live on such a resilient planet. So I often think about this that I'm like, you know, and I, I feel like I'm trying to remember whoever first said this idea to me because I was like, oh, snap, that's like game changer. It's like the earth <laughs> is going to be OK. Yeah. Right. Like the earth is going to be OK. Like it might be she might go through an ice age or something. But like if we're not here, she'll still be OK. And like if we're not here, she'll recover from whatever we've done like how we've remixed her nature into other kinds of things. Um, and I don't know if you saw the story came out last week about the white throated rail. Did you see I, that? I hadn't, but I saw you wrote about it on your, on your blog. Yeah. I was so moved by this. So this like little bird, um, they've basically this bird re evolved, right? Like it went extinct in 136,000 years ago, roughly. Cause like, you know, these things are hard to track, but like, now this bird has has re-evolved, has come back into existence. The same little, it's a flightless bird. There's something about that that just, I I read it and I really was like moved in a way. I, I was like, I didn't know I needed to know that that was possible. Mm. But I was like, I need to know that that level of resilience is possible. Like somewhere down in the programming of this planet, there's, there's some code that's just like white-throated rail. And just because we can no longer see the creature doesn't mean that it's it's disappeared. Like there's some aspect of it, of that DNA um, that's in there. And yeah, it made me feel like, okay, like there's mysteries on mysteries on mysteries when it comes to this planet. And there's so much that we can't understand. Um, and so inside of that, I'm like, you know, I love thinking really big, grandiose thoughts, but then I try to bring them back down into very small, tangible practices, small ways of being with each other. Because I'm like, I can't imagine how we'll get through the climate catastrophe that we're in right now, but I can imagine being in right relationship with the planet around me mm -hmm. and making better choices about this local place that I'm in and being place-based and loving, even though I travel a lot, but I'm like rooting myself into the soil in Detroit in all the ways that I can. Like, this is where I bury my compost. This is where I play with children. This is where I, you know, go find like, where's the Detroit grown foods every summer. And I, I'm really cautious now. I've made a major shift in my life around how I produce waste, like what kind of waste I, you know, will put out so that I've tried to really shrink down my garbage waste, like mm -hmm. to the, like the very, very, you know, it's like if I can rinse it and I can clean it off and it can be recycled, it's going to be recycled. If it's food, if it can go into compost, it goes into compost. And like I used to have a massive garbage bin that I was putting out and I'm like, I live alone, you know, all of that was stuff that like other things could be done with. And now it's like, you know, a huge portion of what comes out of my home is going to be recycled and reused again. 
And I'm aiming at zero waste. I'm constantly trying to figure out like where's and where are other places where I can. I just bought this new set of like Ziplocs, reusable kind of Ziploc thingies. That so they're you know because I'm I'm a I'm a fan of Ziploc bags. Like I'm like you can put anything in a Ziploc bag. You can go anywhere <laughs> if you have zip. I carry like in my suitcase. There's always like five Ziploc bags just like folded just in case because you just never know what you're gonna need a Ziploc bag for. And so I'm like oh that's a next frontier that I need to like you know, figure out a way to advance through and, and like, oh, I can do this. Right. So anyway, all of that to say to me, I'm trying in my personal life to get in right relationship with nature. And my body is a huge part of that. Like if I'm not in right relationship and respecting the miraculous, like stardust nature of my body, then how can I even begin to be in right relationship with the rest of the living world? Yeah. Yeah. Adrian, I have to just take a quick break to talk about this week's sponsors. Our first sponsor for today has a special offer for you to help you get exactly the kind of support that you need as you're creating the web of support that we often talk about here on the show. And one way that allows you to connect with a professional counselor in an online environment that's safe and private is today's sponsor, BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, you can get help on your own time and at your own pace. Along with scheduling video or phone sessions, you can also chat and text with your therapist. Their affordable and financial aid is available for those who qualify. So whether it's anxiety, depression, your relationship, stress, grief, dealing with trauma, finding the pleasure in your life, whatever it is, definitely consider BetterHelp as a way to help transform your stuck places. And best of all, it is a truly affordable option because as a Relationship Alive listener, you get 10% off your first month with a discount code ALIVE. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash alive. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor that you'll love. And if you don't like your counselor, you can always switch if you need to. That's betterhelp.com slash alive. And thank you, BetterHelp, for being a sponsor of today's show. Our second sponsor for today is NoME, and they have a special offer for you as a Relationship Alive listener on their exquisite jewelry. Their pieces are made to last a lifetime. They're perfect for today and as an heirloom that your family will treasure far into the future. Noemi is handcrafted in the finest materials, reclaimed 18 karat gold, conflict-free stones, and lab-grown diamonds, and it's all priced as fairly as possible because they cut out the middleman. Also, they ship to you overnight for free so that you can try it on and have up to 60 days to return for free with a full refund. So trying something from their site to see how it feels and looks on you is completely risk-free. And as I mentioned, they have a special offer for you. Head to hellonoeme.com. That's the word hello, followed by N-O-E-M-I-E.com and use the coupon code ALIVE for $75 off your order today. And if you want this as a gift from someone, don't make them guess. Just go ahead and tell them what you want with Noemi's Drop a Hint option, which is on every product page. That's $75 off with the coupon code ALIVE at hellonoemi.com. And thank you so much, Noemi, as well, for your support of Relationship Alive. 
And now let's get back to our conversation with Adrian Marie Brown. So, okay, so um, first, I'm so moved when I hear you talk about not really being able to read the code, but seeing the expressions of the code, like the yeah. the bird coming back into existence from extinction. And even when you were describing how you and I could be doing different work in different places, and yet here we find ourselves together having this conversation. Yeah. To me, that is an expression of the power of something that's ineffable that like we can't understand but if we're willing to to follow that path and and follow the ways that it's growing and things yeah. are emerging then yeah. then at least that inspires hope in me that there's like an antidote to disconnection to destruction yeah. to yeah. you know all the forces that were that we're working against and in and in terms of relationship the ways that people are um you know, experience this desire for closeness and connection, you know, part mm -hmm. of our, our wiring, as you were mentioning earlier, is to yeah. be connected to each other. That's and right. yet it becomes such a source of pain, partly because we either intentionally or unintentionally traumatize each other. And then also yeah. because of the social structures and their impacts on us. Yeah. Um, when you talk about pleasure and relearning pleasure, getting in touch with your body and and i like that um stand that you take for for the personal being political that fractal nature yes. of yeah. of uh, transformation um i think about how many of us are just kind of following the script yeah. of romance and love yeah. and sex and pleasure and needing when did you become to, aware that there was a script who well that's it's been an unfolding for me for uh -huh. sure um and i think probably i became most aware of it when i inadvertently hurt someone and mm -hmm. like had no idea that that was happening for them and found yeah. out later. And then, you know, thankfully we've had our moments of amends and talking and all of that, but in re yeah. restoring ourselves. Yeah. But that was probably the inception of it. And mm -hmm. then all through college. Um, and then in my current relationship, mm -hmm. I'm so blessed to be with someone who's taken a strong stand for her own boundaries around her own healing, her own trauma. And, mm -hmm. and it forced me to even go even deeper into like, well, what am I looking for in relationship? Right. What am I looking for in sex? <laughs> what is like, what is this rejection quote unquote that I'm experiencing in this moment? And what is that really about? And, yeah. And so that has forced me to ask deeper questions and to yeah. get progressively more and more honest with myself and with her um, to a point where fairly recently I feel like I've hit ground zero. But, uh -huh. <laughs> but it's, it's a process. It's definitely been an unfolding and watching those layers fall away. And then once they do, being like, all right, well, how do I replace this? If I'm That's not right. going to do sex the way that I thought I should or you know you I think it was an essay that you wrote where you mentioned a babysitter who was watching porkies when you were yes okay yeah <laughs> yeah and and the way yep. those things inform our sense yeah. of 
of what's what's erotic, what turns us on, all of that. Once I peel those things away yeah. and come back to this moment and what's real, well, yeah, that that's what my journey has been like. And I've I've certainly tried to surface that a bunch here on the podcast and and I'm mm-hmm. really excited to hear your thoughts about that unfolding for yourself and yeah. and and you mentioned meditation earlier. Um, yeah, what are the the pathways in to yeah. kind of breaking down the the unhealthy learnings and um, coming back into right relationship with with ourselves as yeah. relational, sexual, erotic, pleasure oriented beings. Beings, right? I feel like a couple of things. I mean, I think one is um, there was a period of time where I was. I was really convinced that sex didn't have anything to do with me or what I was feeling. Like it was really like, what is the other person feeling? And like, that's, that's what's important right now. And like, my job is to make sure that that experience is a whole good one. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I feel like I remember like there's these just moments and most of it's relational, right? Like most of it is like just other people reflecting something back. It's like, bro, it doesn't have to be like that. You know? Um, people talking to me, reading stuff. I remember um, reading the work of Andrea Dworkin. Mm-hmm. Um, have you read her? Like she, she talks pretty scathingly about marriage and pornography and like a lot of the things that I was just like took for granted were like, those are good things that you try to get to in life. And I don't agree with everything. You know, I feel like there's a lot of um, brilliant thinking in what she said. And I feel like there's a, also... Um, not a lot offered of like, here are their true pleasures, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like here's the, the ways to get them. Yeah. But there was something that blew open for me where I was just like, I, I want to be able to consider this. I want to be able to consider that everything I was told about where pleasure in my life would come from um, and or was was and wasn't allowed, that maybe all of that is wrong. Right. Um, and then Audre Lorde's writing. Octavia Butler's writing. There were just all these different people who were giving me. It was never just about sex. It was never just about the body. It was always have a revolution about how you think about how things work in the world, start to ask questions and get curious about who benefits from these systems. Right. So I remember, I remember having a question, you know, a conversation with a friend um, about marriage and just being like, who benefits, who benefits in marriage. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and being pretty like, Oh my gosh, no one should ever get married. Like I was like, no woman should ever get married. Like I felt very strong. I was like, Nope, it's not, it's just not a good idea. Like you will work forever and a labor that will never, ever get acknowledged. You will not be able to pursue passion work, things that you actually care about. You will not be respected in the process. And, and then, you know, and then he'll cheat on you. Like this is the, the arc of it. Right. <laughs> Cause you know, he'll need something younger and prettier and he's worked you out. Right. And I remember having that conversation. He's like, no, you know, like, and then they're like, well, no, that's just one way. That's a model that is the system that benefits from that is patriarchy. And if I can understand that, then I can be like, let me target patriarchy. Let me. And like, I, I'm very lucky that I came across the work of Grace Lee Boggs where she really is like transform yourself to transform the world. And this is something I say, probably every day of my life, there's some place or some way in which I say this to someone else or to myself. But so I was like, oh, where is patriarchy in my own practice? Where is patriarchy showing up and how I'm approaching a relationship? And some of the interesting places were how quickly I would be dishonest 
for the sake of connection. And I say connection in quotation marks there, right? That I was like, well, I don't want to be alone. And like being alone is a sign of someone who's not a good person or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be like with someone to be like a part of the human experiment or whatever. Um, first, you know, that, that is, I, I no longer believe that, but like, <laughs> I, you know, but at the time I was just like, okay, I don't want to be alone. So I would go out on a date or someone, you know, I feel like I was, I feel like I came up like right at the end of dating also. Uh-huh. So it's like right at the end of like when you would actually say, let's go on a date to a place and get to know each other for maybe three or four times we would do that before we were actually alone in either of our places. And, you know, something else would happen, right? I'm like, I come from what feels like almost a chaste time before the, the apps kind of popped off. And it was just yeah. like, your place or mine, like, what's good, you know? <laughs> and I, I, I talk about the apps as if I know what I'm talking about. I've never really used <laughs> the apps to, that's just not how I meet people. But, but I know that the majority of people in my life, that's now how people connect. But so you go out and you're having these initial conversations. And my practice was to just, kind of listen for what I thought the other person really wanted to hear and then delivered that somehow. And, you know, I grew up as a military brat. I moved like roughly every two years. So you get really good at figuring out like, what is the, what are the rules here yeah. and how do I adapt to be safe within them? And it can be hard when you get good at that to also be like, and then what is, what is fundamental to me? Like, what is the me that I'm also carrying to each place that needs to adapt? And the same thing in dating, like what is the me that's showing up? And like might adapt in some relationship, but like, why am I rushing to not just adapt, but like completely contort into something? Why am I so desperate for being in relationship that I, I won't even be there? (laughs) Like it won't even be me that shows up. Yeah. So I feel like I had rounds and rounds of that and it never worked. I kept having this heartbreak that was really almost never about the other person, but it was about facing how much I had contorted to get in the door and then how little I actually wanted to be inside that house, right? Yeah, Whatever yeah. house it was. And um, and so I feel like I took... Which, by the break. way, is a super common problem that people it's have. Every, it's everywhere. Yeah. You know, when I, I do a bunch of, you know, like you said, coaching and mediation and stuff like that. And I find that, like that is the number one thing. That's the number one thing is that people are like, you're just not who you've said you were. Right. And how could you not be who you said you were? And how could you not uphold the promises that you made? And it's just like, I was lying. I wasn't, I I wasn't even there. Like, I don't even know. I'm sorry. You know? Right. And Um, then there's that additional layer of, oh, wait a minute. Now we also have to deal with your shame around who you are, around your truth. And exactly. Yeah. And it's the shame and the still absence of yourself. Yeah. Right. So, so often now I've been doing a lot of support for people who are, um, in their, you know, mid thirties to fifties. And a lot of the folks I'm supporting are going through major breakups of fundamental relationships. And it's interesting because they're like, who am I? Like, who am I? You know, like so much was defined in relationship to this other person. And that's how so many people get trained to become themselves. It's like, now, now I'm, I'm, I'm half of something and now that's who I am. And so, so much of the work is being like, you're a whole something. You are a whole something. And I think the the thing I'm always watching out for is not to send people all the way to the other side of the pendulum, right? To me, the personal is political only as it relates to being part of a collective effort to be political about what is personal, right? Uh-huh. So I, I feel like this is, you know, someone was asking me, I did an interview yesterday and they're like, what about the goop? You know, what about the like white women taking baths or whatever? And I was just like, yeah, like, 
you know, that so much of self-care is about that. It's like white people with privilege go off to the spa. Mm -hmm. And that's when, you know, often I mention to people, they're like, I'm not about all that, you know? And I'm just like, yeah, I, I don't think that that's political necessarily either. Right. I think it becomes political in relationship to your identity. I think it becomes political in relationship to the community you're a part of and how you're making sure that everyone has access to the beautiful, good parts of life. Right. And so, you know, I'm part of a community. Um, I'm part of many communities and, but there's a particular community I call the goddesses and it's a bunch of women. We all went to school together and now everyone's like slaying dragons in all these different fields of life. And we have started to really like have each other's backs and hold each other down in a way that like we didn't know how to necessarily do back then. Right. Mm -hmm. But we've like rediscovered each other and been like, we need to like all, you know, like about half of us, half of the people are moms. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, we need to go places where like everyone here gets to relax and be taken care of that. We get to be part of something that's close knit and intimate. Um, but that we get to have massages or we get to be in a hot tub or we get to, you know, just cook for each other or take each other out to the best places we can find to eat. Or like, there's so many small pleasures that feel really important. Like it wouldn't be great for me if I was just like, I'm over here living my best life. And all my sisters were out here struggling. Like I, 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 don't think that that's a way towards freedom, right? For me, it's very important that as I have access, I increase access for everyone else. Yeah. And I particularly increase access for those who have less access than me. Like that to me is part of the political commitment I'm in for my lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I'm, I'm just thinking here about the, uh, the commodification of self-care and, I think that's part of what you're talking about, right? Is that like, yes, you actually Capitalism. don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there it is again. There it is again. It's always there. Yeah. Um, one thing that popped up for me when you were talking about structures and like, ah, I would never get married and, you know, and then, <laughs> and then that sense of like, well, okay, it's just a system and who does it benefit? Yeah. And maybe there's a time and a place. What popped up for me was this question around the dance between safety and I think it was because you mentioned, you know, when going out on a date, like part of what's happening there is deciding, yeah. am I safe with this person? Exactly. And, yeah. and then that, because safety is right up there with connection in terms of something that we, that we require in order to function as humans. That's right. So... And that's interesting that. as you start pulling apart the structures, because one thing that marriage can be really good it's at safety. is supporting safety. Exactly. Yeah. And so how do you start to loosen those tethers in a way yeah. that still supports people being held? Um, because if you're not feeling safe, you're not growing in a way that's probably generative for you. You're just like scrambling right. back to safety for the most part. You know, I think... I love this question. You know, I think this is uh, like, this is an essential one to me. It's like, okay, how do we balance these things? And a couple of thoughts lead to mind. One is that I think people feel like they have to choose between safety and like being their whole selves or being their, mm -hmm. being in their dignity, like all of it. And that first part, that feels like it's not true, right? I'm like, that's part of the lie that we've been told is that you have to choose. Yeah. And so you can either be safe 
in a marriage where you don't get to be fully realized as yourself or you can be fully realized as yourself, but like, you know, without that stability. Um, and I've seen it. I've seen the case more often than not be that you find that deep safety within yourself. It's a feeling, not a story that you're telling about your life, right? Or a projection you're giving for someone else. But it's actually like some a felt sense. Like I feel it in my life. Most of my life now, I feel safe, right? And I can feel when that changes. Like sometimes I'll be in a space where there's just too many people, too much energy, something's off, you know? And I can feel it. And it heightens my senses. It heightens my awareness. It makes me pay attention to what's happening around me. But then I think something like marriage... That kind of commitment, what I see so often happening is that people get into it and then they're like, this isn't the safety that I thought it was going to be, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it is for the first month or the first year or even until the first child or whatever, you know, but like then there's some moment where that falls away because what you, what you thought you had was like, I know you and you know me. And what's really happening is you're changing and I'm also changing. And so I've officiated a few weddings. And one of the things that's been exciting is that the people who ask me to officiate are like, we want to commit to changing together, right? That to me is the kind of commitment that I can get behind where people are like, I know this person is going to change. I know I'm going to change, but I'm so curious about who they are and who they will become. And I want to be there for that ride. And, uh, and so it's not about marriage as entrapment, like catching you into one single identity or any relationship, right? Because now I'm like, you don't have to get married to be trying to trap someone in your web. And I really like the model, which I'm sure you've heard of, of relationship anarchy. Um, I don't think anything is like a perfect, perfect thing, but I really like it because so much of it is like, you know, safety. The, you know, I think you were talking about with safety. To me, so much of that is rooted in trust, mm -hmm. right? It's like, oh, I trust that you're going to do what you say you do, you say you're going to do. And I trust that I can tell you my truth or whatever it is. And in relationship anarchy, um, which I think is like someone in Sweden, Andy, Andy Norgan or yeah, something like that. I have that. to like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I have to go look at her name, but there's, you can look up at like a relationship anarchy, um, manifesto. Right. And I love it because it's like, Trust is something that we build together over time. And like we start out with a default of trust, like rather than starting out with a default of like, you've got it, you know, like your trust is at zero and you have to like somehow bring it up to a hundred and never let yourself like never fuck up, like never, ever break my trust in any way. or I'm going to hold that against you for the rest of time. And I'm like, instead you start from a place of like, I have an abundant sense of trust for like my place in the world for what I'm up to in the world, for like the work that I'm here to do, my purpose. And then I meet you and I'm just going to offer you trust as a human being. And what I am counting on is that if you break my trust, then we'll figure out how to recover together. Right. And sometimes that breaking of trust might be, we're not supposed to recover together, you know, like, or sometimes the breaking of trust will expose something like you're more committed to, um, like, I see this happen sometimes where people are like, in an open relationship, but still do cheating type behaviors. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, great. That's good information. Right. Like you're still very committed to a certain kind of secrecy. Maybe that's what turns you on as the forbidden, something along those lines. And that's not compatible. Right. With the kind of relationship that I'm trying to build or whatever, the kind of relationship this person is trying to build. And so I get really excited about stuff like that. Cause I'm like, then you in a, you know, then it's like, we just got clear about it. 
And like we can trust each other to take the step back and transition to some other form of relationship versus I think what happens now, which is like I offered you a false trust that you could never live up to that I was waiting for you to somehow live up to. You broke it. And now I don't, I never want to see your face again. Right. Like you let me down so thoroughly that I just, I don't even want you to exist. And I'm like, I don't think we have enough people for that way of being with each other. Right. That we can just keep being like, if you're not perfect, perfectly trustworthy, then I kick you out of my community forever. And I say that, you know, the same thing you said, it's like, you learned some of this from causing harm. Like, I'm like, I learned from breaking people's trust, mm. right? Yeah. Like there are people who I love and care about and I, I broke their trust. And I have, I've had to do like a lot of work, <clears throat> a lot of work around like, am I a trustworthy person? If the answer is no, how would I become a trustworthy person, right? And again, so much of that initial line of inquiry was just like about other people. Like, how can I let them know? How can I show? How can I prove that I'm trustworthy? And of course, the answer is like, I have to be trustworthy. Like, I have to be able to feel in myself. Um, and I'll tell you, I'll tell a little example of this. Sure. I was in the airport like last week and I, I was running through and a lot had been happening. And I went and sat down on a bench um, and there was this coat next to me. And I asked around like, hey, anybody, is this your coat? And everybody's like, no, you know, whoever this coat is, they just left this coat here. There's no bag. There's nothing else around it. So I let it sit there for a little while and I'm like, that's a nice coat, right? <laughs> it's a nice coat. And so I picked it up to look at it and it's like a, a designer coat and it happens to be my size, right? So I'm like, this is a very nice, gorgeous designer coat that someone just left here on this bench and like, who knows if they're ever going to make it back, right? But that, yeah, part of my brain was like a gift from the universe. And I was like, and I picked it up and I like looked at it and I was like, that would not be a trustworthy behavior to just take this coat and move on with life, right? Like there's a chance that that person is still in this airport and that they're like running back here to get their very expensive, nice coat, right? Or, and, right, they'll, they'll call Delta like, do you know where my coat is or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. And so I took it over to the, um, I don't know, you know where they check you in for the plane. I took it over to one of the guys there and I was like, this was left over there. And they're like, oh my goodness, you know, like that's so sweet, you know? And it was just like, I felt the burden lift off my system um, that I'm like, oh, I was about to really just take someone's coat, (laughs) right? But I didn't. And, uh, And it's a small thing. Like it's a really small thing that like no one would have known if I had done the wrong thing. Um, except you, but I would have known. Yeah. And like trying to get to that place in my life where like, I don't make the mistake because it would hurt my integrity and my wholeness and my dignity outside of anyone else's. And even if, if I know it, that creates a shadow. Like how do I turn to my lover and tell that story? How do I walk into a room where I'm offering people like, let's be trustworthy people. And I'm standing there in a coat that I stole from some poor stranger. Right. Um, So to me, it's that it's like, is my relationship with myself intact? And then from that place, can I be in contact with another person and say, now this is intact. And if it gets harmed, I commit to helping us get to intactness. And sometimes that looks like a boundary. I keep repeating these words. My friend, Princess Hemphill, um, made this, made this, had this thought last week and then spread it all over the world, basically. Mm -hmm. But it's boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. Mm. And I keep thinking about that, that I'm like, sometimes, right? Isn't it beautiful? 
Yeah. And sometimes it's like that. It's like sometimes intactness is at a great distance, right? It's like, we're good. As long as you're 2000 miles away from me, we're fine. <laughs> right. It's good. Like don't cross that boundary and it's all good. Right. Um, and so I think about that. I'm like, you know, that's one of the things I talk about in pleasure activism is like our no makes the way for our yes. Like the good boundaries are actually so crucial for the good relationships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what seems contained to and what you're offering is the necessity for healing, like to rec- recognize like, okay, yes. if we're not in right relationship, we're all each on a healing journey to getting yes. there. Um, it's probably rare the person who's learned, who's reached their 30s or 40s or more, you know, and hasn't experienced some sort of disruption of their yeah. integrity. That's um, right. So there's the healing component. There's also the compassion component. Like, yeah, if I if I expect you to be perfect and you fail me, and then that becomes uh, this huge breach, then that's a much different problem than I'm trusting you. And I'm also wanting you like I'm, I'm willing to be okay with where you and I aren't perfect. As long as yeah. we can be in full disclosure about that together. That's right. The, that's yeah. the, the honesty piece. I like that. I like that. I feel like that's, you know, cause I also think about this, like, for people who are like, oh no, I, you know, I'm sure there's someone who's not me. I'm good. You know, like I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't lie to myself or whatever. I'm like, so often the people who seem to be have, who have it all together are, are in some ways damaging self, themselves the most. Mm. Like I feel like now I have stopped doing to myself the harm of trying to pretend I am perfect. Right. Yeah. And I see it. I mean, I feel like that, you know, when people watch Beyonce's homecoming, right. It was like, what was intriguing to me is that she was like, I was pushing for perfection and it meant having to like learn all this stuff, but I would never do this again. It wasn't perfect. It was actually too much. I, I harmed myself and, but I pulled this off, but I harmed myself in doing Like there's even stuff like that, right? Where I'm like, yeah, what are you denying of yourself? That's where you're creating a prison, right? Yeah. For yourself, you're containing that part of you that wants to be alive and free and moving around. And I'll say, I'm part of the generative somatics teaching body. And for me, somatics has been the healing pathway that has like opened so much. And there's um, a really beautiful episode of the healing justice podcast that has a woman named Sumitra on it Mm -hmm. as it was the, they basically the healing justice podcast, they do an offer and then they do a practice to follow up on that. And so it's a 30 minute practice, something less than that, but it's basically the, the core practice of somatics, which is just centering, learning how to actually drop into your body and feel and center in real time. And the idea is that you don't center to feel calm or better. You center to feel more. Yeah. That if you can feel, feel more, what is. Yeah. feel what is and feel more of it, then you start to have actual agency in real time over the choices you make, over the connections you move towards, over the connections you can start to set real boundaries around. Like I can feel when someone is not a good energy to have around me, right? That doesn't mean they don't deserve to have people around them, but it's not going to happen here, right? Right, right. I'm going to move towards those people who are like the right energy for me, for for me growing them and for them growing me, yeah? Yeah. So I want to offer that because when it comes to healing, I think it helps to be fairly tangible. Like, there's, there's some, you know, I feel like that for me, like I went to talk therapy for 
you know, a decade or whatever. Right. And I've been able to move so much more through being able to feel because I feel like talk therapy, I was still able to stay in my head and tell my stories and tell my lies. And like, you know, you, you know, you can yeah. do it. If your therapist starts to be on to you, you just move on to a next one. Like, here's my, <laughs> here's my story. Right. Or whatever it is. And I just think there's something so beautiful about dropping in and being like, I'm feeling I'm in a community of people who hold me accountable to being able to feel myself. And even now, like I've been touring this book, I land in a new city and I run into someone who's also a somatic practitioner and they hold me and they're like, are you good? Are you centering? Are you good? How are you feeling? You know, and I know that they really care and they want to know. And in that moment, I can feel the connection and my aliveness just expand. So important. Yeah. Adrian Marie Brown, thank you so much for your words today for joining us. I know we could talk for easy another hour probably, mm. but you don't have the time. Um, at least not today. Hopefully we can chat again at some point. That would be special. Yay. Thank you so much for having me on, Neil. I really appreciate being a guest on the show and I hope it's of use to people. It is my pleasure. And I just want to encourage everyone who's listening to check out Uh, all your work, but especially your latest book, Pleasure Activism, uh, Emergent Strategy. They're both written with such care. And and I really felt them speaking to me in my unfolding. And I I know it would be a gift to any reader who's here with us. And it feels like a fun footnote that the friend that I met who introduced me to you and your work, um, we were actually both attending a... um, somatic experiencing workshop with Peter Levine. Yay! So so I love how it came back into somatics here at the end. So important to to find that truth of who you are and your experience in your body in this moment. And Mm -hmm. so much aliveness comes from there. Um, Thank you, Adrian, if people want to find out more about your work, what can they do? Um... They can go to the website, alliedmedia.org slash ESII. That's where you can get like trainings, workshops, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then I'm on Instagram at Adrian Marie Brown. Um, and I that's where I mostly post things into the world. Great. Well, we will make sure right. there are links in all our stuff. And thank you so much for being with us today and with me. Thank you. Yeah. Have a good one. Take care, Adrian. And just as a reminder, if you want a detailed transcript of today's episode, you can get that by visiting neilsatin.com slash AMB, as in Adrian Marie Brown, or you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And we will have links to everything that we mentioned here in today's episode, uh, as well as to the, the healing justice, I think, is what Adrian said, the the Healing Justice podcast episode that she mentioned uh, as a gift for you. All right, take care. 